Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hello, Melissa and Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, even better now that we are chatting. Yay. Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm great. I feel enthusiastic that it's not just the two of us today. (laughs) Is that bad? No, it's great. I think this will be two podcasts in a row we've had a guest, and we're going to have a guest at the next one too. So I'm sure our listeners are very grateful for a little (laughs) bit of a break from us talking to each other. (laughs) So Dylan Redekop from Sparkloop and also mm-hmm. the Growth Currency newsletter. We're very excited to have you here. Um, we have a lot of questions. First, let's just get chatty. Melissa, <laughs> you just got married. You just got back from your honeymoon. <laughs> I did. How was it? <laughs> it was great. I could have not asked for a better wedding and honeymoon. Everything went smoothly, except for my now husband cutting his foot open the night of the wedding and having to go to the ER. But other <laughs> just drop that in so casually. Yeah. It's because if you knew him, he's the most accident-prone human being I've ever met. And everyone who knows us was like, well, yeah, that sounds about right. So, you know, we made the best of it. And he couldn't really go in the pool or the ocean during our honeymoon. But we just, you know, ate a lot of good food in Mexico. And our wedding weather was amazing, which was like the best thing ever. So I can't complain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Was the wedding in Mexico? It was not. It was in Boise, Idaho, where I'm from, um, mm. and a lot of our family is there. So we drove there and then drove back to Washington and then headed down to Mexico for a week. So it was great. Wedding bliss. Nice. Yeah. Amazing. Dylan, what's been new in your world lately? Ooh, what has been new? Um, somewhat new is my role at Sparkloop. So I'm um, joining the team there back in the middle of March and been doing it so over two months now. Mm-hmm. So learning a lot about well, newsletters and how to grow them, monetize them and uh, all that fun stuff. Just how, you know, Sparkloop, the ins and outs of it, how it works. So that's kind of probably the biggest, uh, the biggest thing in my, in my life that has changed in the recent past. Exciting. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. I was so excited when I saw that you were joining Sparkloop. It just felt like one of the most perfect like job announcements I've ever seen. (laughs) Like this makes so much sense. Great match. Yeah, it was kind of like the uh, the Tinder like job <laughs> yeah. profile thing. Like we both swipe right. I think I don't use Tinder, but I can only assume that's sort of how it works. <laughs> I met my husband on Tinder, so I can tell you that is how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's save that story for another episode. Oh gosh, you've already shared that was it. perfect. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> it worked out. You haven't shared it. I haven't. Not on a podcast. I mean, so <laughs> we both downloaded this app <laughs> called Tinder. <laughs> And we swiped right and we went on a date and he ordered two appetizers. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like I've never been on a date where someone orders two appetizers. That's a pretty big deal. And I liked him from there on out. That's a good sign. Yeah. It was a really good sign for me. I was like, huh. Yeah. He got fried pickles and tater tot fondue. <laughs> and like that's the kind of life I want to live. It's a two appetizer life. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I actually don't think I knew that. And I love that you remember the exact. Probably not. I would never. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Oh my gosh. Guys, May is I know. I'm sorry. So rough. Poor Dylan. I think I scheduled this podcast with him multiple times, but he's hanging in there. He's here. We got him to record with us, but uh We're here. Yeah. As I mentioned on I think the last podcast that came out, you know, my son had surgery. It went wonderfully. That was his fourth and hopefully last. Hey. So wow. yeah, um, huge relief. That was it was rough, but uh, went very well. He That's great. was like back to normal so much, so quick. And then, so, you know, I was like feeling good. I'm like, yeah, back to work. <laughs> I took on a, kind of a new role Psych. at ConvertKit <laughs> yeah, right after the surgery. So I was like, oh, yeah, getting into this new role. I have some new team members. And then I was like, huh, I have a fever. Huh, my stomach hurts. What's happening? And then, I, yeah, I had to go to the doctor and then the ER. And they were like, your appendix needs to be removed. So... <laughs> I'm down in Oregon since the last time you heard from me and I'm, but I'm feeling okay now. I mean, I feel pretty much back to normal, just a very weird month and I'm ready for some boring, just normal life. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the up and up. Yes. I think so. I hope so. Some boring, normal life at, um, crafting commerce, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to be boring or normal. I mean, it'll be normal in a, in a good way, but. It'll be fun, right? It's, yeah. It's a little yeah. schedule disruption. When I hear the word craft and commerce right now, I'm like, like, yeah, everything in me tightens up. I have to do a keynote. I don't know why I agreed to do that. Because you're great. Because I'm a dummy and <laughs> I'm a sucker for Haley, Jay, and we're also doing a workshop, Melissa and I, which I'm sorry. To, I sound like I'm complaining. I'm very excited to see a lot of people there. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, Craft and Commerce will be over, and I'm sure we had a blast. But <laughs> the keynote is keeping me up at night. So, yeah, mm. <laughs> it's understandable. Are you going to be there, Dylan? I am not, <sighs> unfortunately. Darn. I will aim to be there next year for sure. But, uh, you know, this year, please, I yes. Could not swing it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, this is probably the most intro chattiness we've had, and it's actually so fun. I would it is fun. just keep going forever, but I think people will not be happy. So, We'll just get into the topic. First of all, Dylan, I didn't do a great job in showing you. Can you tell us more about yourself, where you're from, and like, how did you land yourself into this newsletter <laughs> email world? Yeah, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll try to put that into as concise of a uh, response as I can. I'm I'm from Canada, um, hence my Canadian accent, which I cannot detect, but other people might be able to. <laughs> I live, yeah, I live on the West Coast with my family, wife and kids and um, work at Sparkloop, as you know. And I kind of, yeah, I stumbled into the newsletter thing because, um, you know, something happened in 2020. I don't know if you guys remember. Mm. There's a little thing that went around that people got sick. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Some people still are getting sick, so I'm, I don't want to make light kidding. of it, no. but it, it definitely uh, was a bit of a disruption. So I found myself just interested in kind of figuring out some kind of other revenue stream other than just like a, a job because jobs are not exactly, they can be unstable as many of us found out in 2020, right? Mm. I fortunately kept my job during the pandemic, but I also was a little bit you know, apprehensive and thought it would be a good idea to try to do something else. So I heard this thing called Substack and I, that might be a swear word on this podcast. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was kind of the, the thing that had kind of just blown up sort of during the pandemic to some degree and, and everybody was starting a sub stack. And so I'm like, well, I, I used to blog back in, you know, 10 years ago and I liked writing online. I'm like, why don't I just start a newsletter? Cause 
I also knew the value in growing an email list, even if I didn't have anything necessary to sell them right now. I knew that there would be the potential to whether it's a service or a product or what have you to, you know, have some revenue from a future offering. And so growing an email list was something I knew I should probably be doing. And so I started a Substack. Substack is like a blogging newsletter platform sort of all in one. So it was free and easy to start. And so that's kind of why I went with it. And um, just started kind of writing about marketing stuff, personal finance, like just kind of a mishmash of things, curating articles that I thought were interesting. Yeah, just stuff like that. And then I just eventually morphed into a newsletter about newsletters. <laughs> and yeah. it took a few twists and turns. Um, like I quit Substack after about nine months and joined ConvertKit, which uh, was probably the best decision I made in my whole newsletter journey. But um, Ooh, sound bite. And Alyssa, you helped me as well, <laughs> make you that transition back in the day too. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it started and where I am. There's a lot missing in the middle there. But um, yeah, we can take it from there. I love it. One thing that's always been so interesting to me was watching, because I've been a subscriber of yours for a long time, and watching the journey of your newsletter and shifting focus and niching down. And that's something Melissa and I talk about a lot is like finding your niche. Mm -hmm. So I would just love to learn more about that thought process. Like how did you decide to niche down and what was that like? Yeah. And that's a great question. I, I was... I thought I was niching down by writing a newsletter about for creators about the creator economy. And apparently that's a pretty big, (laughs) that's a pretty big audience and not, not super niche. So I was doing that for about nine months, if not closer to a year, actually. And then I was in Jay Klaus's lab community and I was on a hot seat with Jay Klaus. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm not getting more subscribers and I'm like they're just slowly trickling in. There's not the um, excitement or the sharing that there was before. And he gave me a few pointers, but really he shared that hot seat recording as he does with all of them in the lab. And uh, Justin Moore from Creator Wizard uh, watched the video and gave some feedback, basically saying, Dylan, I think your best content is when you write about how you are growing your newsletter. Is you know as meta as that is, writing a newsletter about growing a newsletter. But he said that's. I think of you when I think of like what I should do with my newsletter and because you do write a lot about that. And so I think you should lean into that a little bit more and make that kind of the the focus of your um, of your content. So that was the beginning of it. I kind of thought about it for a little while. I'd sort of played that idea myself too. So that was kind of validation that maybe that is a route I should go on. And then the next day I went for, I went for a run out here. And uh, as I like to do, just, I don't wear headphones or listen to music or anything like that. I just like to kind of let the thoughts come as they do. And so I started, you know, getting all these these ideas for content and all about newsletters and it just kind of went from there. And so I decided to basically announce to everybody reading, like, this is going to be more of a newsletter focused on this specific topic and not as much on these other things. So if you want to stick around, I'd, I'd love to have you. Otherwise, um, hmm. thanks for reading before. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think, um, you know, speaking of craft and commerce, like I remember the first one that ConvertKit ever hosted and the first one I went to, and that was such a popular topic was like, how to niche down, how to niche down. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's so easy to to say that and, it, and it, the concept makes sense. But when you start hearing about how creators have actually done that and whether you've thought about it, you know, yourself in some ways, but then have that validation aspect or, you know, maybe you were a part of a group who helped you get to that point. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's always really interesting to hear like the moment when someone was like, oh yeah, this is exactly how I need to do that. Because 
it is really hard to think about like, and like you said, you maybe you even thought like, well, this is a niche, like I'm talking about the creator economy. But then you realize like, oh, I could get even further into this. So it is really cool to hear how that all came about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as you were mentioning, like that email that you sent to your subscribers Mm. and you sent that knowing some people are probably going to unsubscribe from this. So I'm curious, like, what would you say to someone who wants to niche down or they they want to change the focus of what they're doing, but they're worried about their existing subscriber base? Have you found that it actually was a better move? Like you don't regret it. You have a more engaged audience now. Or what would you say to that person? Yeah, I think I don't regret it. And I was a little bit apprehensive because, you know, the the subscribers and the unsubscribes, is, it's all vanity metrics, mm-hmm. right? Really, at the end of the day, right? What matters is that the people that are reading your newsletter and are subscribed to it are interested in it. And you don't just want people to hang on because the numbers look good. Right. And so I think the the hard part was thinking that niching down would be more limiting and be too much of a constraint. And really what it actually did was the opposite. I feel like it opened up more content ideas for me. I was able to actually sort of focus more on one specific topic, which can go in in so many different areas than what I was doing prior was like, I have this huge, this huge topic funnel of like the creator economy. And in that there's so many different things you could talk about. And so many people are, people are very journeys in that, whether they're just starting or they've started to earn their first dollar or they're starting to go full-time as a content creator. So what I found was when I shifted just to focus on newsletters, I had more ideas. I didn't have you know writer's block for the longest time. And it was a lot easier to pitch my newsletter and to promote it and say, this newsletter is about this, as opposed to, I write about mm. creator you know, earning a living online. Like it was just... It was a little bit too vague. It was harder to pitch. It was harder to say what I do. And then once I switched, it was like, I'm going to teach you how to start, grow, and monetize a newsletter. And that was like really easy to understand. And it was easy for me to create the content around those topics. Did you also find that once you sort of niche down in that way and your audience was more specific, did they also help you come up with content ideas because they were interested in the topic Mm -hmm. in a different way than just this general audience? Because I I feel like that's something that's also helpful. Oh, yeah, totally. I have a feedback thing at the bottom of my newsletters. And you can rate it. You can read the newsletter like everybody has uh, read the newsletter. And no, I don't get a ton of replies on that. But I'll either get a, a reply to the newsletter itself or somebody will click that and say, I have a question or I'd love it if you talked more about growth or, you know, paid growth or improving whatever, landing pages, subject lines, that kind of thing. So people did reply in with questions or they would they would fill out that form and give me some kind of ideas for content too, for sure. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So getting into, you know, the heart of what your newsletter is all about, <laughs> I would love to hear your tips on growing a newsletter. So I know I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I recently started a newsletter and I personally want to hear from you, but... I'm personally utilizing mainly the ConvertKit Creator Network, which is obviously very similar to Sparkloop. And we can talk about that too, the Upscribe feature, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear your thoughts on that tactic, but also what are some other tactics? What do you recommend? And like, what have you seen work well? Yeah, so it depends on a few things. What what your, your growth goals are. Mm-hmm. If this is something you're kind of just spinning off, doing for fun, just seeing what happens, then you are 
going to do different things, try different strategies than somebody who's really trying to like in the first year, they like, I have a goal of growing to a certain point, making a certain amount of revenue from the newsletter or potentially making that revenue from the newsletter. So there's more like organic growth strategies and goals versus like more, let's just say paid growth strategies, right? You mentioned the creator network and Sparkloop subscribe recommendations, which are super helpful for getting your newsletter in front of other audiences. There's some challenges there with getting your newsletter recommended Mm -hmm. because obviously you need to you need to make sure that other people are recommending you. So you don't have full control over that. However, um, I have seen a lot of success with both the Upscribe and the Creator Network recommendations feature that ConvertKit has just kind of released in the last... When was the official? April-ish? I think so. I really should know that. Yeah. I think it was April, <laughs> early April. Let's say the last couple months. Yeah. So those have, all been, those have all been really great. What I did though in the beginning... Neither of those things existed when I started my newsletter. So what worked well for me, number one, and this is boring, but it works because it's low-hanging fruit, is I included my newsletter link in my Twitter bio. Mm-hmm. And Twitter was what I was using primarily for as my main social platform. I was just trying to focus on one. I wasn't really active on LinkedIn or Instagram. I do have an Instagram account, but I wasn't posting much. I was focused on Twitter and growing that. And so I would tweet about newsletter content and people would, they saw a thread, they would click over to my profile. And month after month, the most subscribers came from my Twitter profile link. So it sounds boring, but it's like, you should have a subscribe link in your social media um, profile of choice. The other thing I did um, was cross promotions. So arranging cross promotions with other newsletters there's more ways and easier ways to do it now than there used to be. But uh, really just kind of finding newsletters that are kind of in the same growth trajectory as you and willing to do kind of that cross-promotion thing. So our newsletter swaps, other people have used that term as well. So that's helpful to get your newsletter for free in front of another audience. A few other things that have worked have been um, lead magnets. I created a 1KS roadmap, which was a 1,000... Get your first 1,000 subscribers free five-day email course. That's brought in over a thousand subscribers since I launched it about a year ago. So it hasn't been massively successful, but it's also, you know, it's brought in, I see, I've got about 4,000 subscribers. So it's brought in like a quarter of my subscribers over that time. So it's been pretty, pretty helpful that way. There's caveats with using lead magnets for newsletters. And some people are like, yay. And some people are like, thumbs down, poo-pooing a lead magnet for for a newsletter. But I think if you do it properly and you make it really clear what is happening and you have a good onboarding sequence from that lead magnet into your newsletter, then I think they can still work really well. I'm a sucker for a good lead right? Lead magnet. Like I, yeah, you're like, oh, I, I have this course. It's five days only and it's free. I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love that comment though about having a good follow-up email around that. I think that's something that I don't know if we've ever like really talked about that, but that can make or break like if you you could have a really good lead magnet. And if you don't have like a really dialed in follow up email, you're going to lose a lot of people, I feel like. So I love that call out. That's great. Yeah, I think it's a again, it's a little bit low hanging fruit. But at the same time, the reason I chose an email course, a free email course for my newsletters, because I just thought me showing up in their inbox is going to start to mm-hmm. they're going to get familiar with it. Leading into my newsletter is just going to be that much that much easier. Mm-hmm. 
So let's talk about something I think a lot of our listeners care about. And I would love to hear about your journey to monetizing your newsletter. Mm -hmm. First of all, how many subscribers do you need to have in order to start monetizing your newsletter? So (laughs) I would say one. Ooh, I like it. I love it. Spicy. Yeah. I mean, you only need to have one person on your email list to sell them something, right? Mm -hmm. And so people get caught up in, I need to have a certain amount of subscribers to make a sponsorship deal or to sell my ebook or my course or my service. But I, I would argue that I don't think you have to wait, I guess is my point. Like why wait until you have a certain threshold to start at least trying, especially like for me, I started with ads so I can speak to that a little bit more. I think I got my first advertiser for $25. I had like five, 600 subscribers and I put my, my newsletter on um, another platform. Is it okay if I say? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it wasn't ConvertKit. <laughs> it was on Swapstack who built a pretty simple platform to as a marketplace, essentially to connect newsletters and newsletter advertisers. And so this was like fall of 2021. I had my Substack newsletter and I threw it on there and saying $25 for an ad to my five or 600 subscribers. And so I got one. The ad performed very poorly. Substack was really bad at tracking clicks back then as well in terms of like they didn't give you very good stats or anything like that or analytics. And I don't think it got a single click. But that was okay. That didn't really matter to me. It was more the proof of concept or the validation that I could actually make some money with advertisements or sponsorships in my newsletter. So that kind of like got the wheels. I'm like, okay, well, if somebody's willing to pay me $25, maybe if I sell a bundle of four newsletters for 50 bucks or like, you know, I started thinking about what I could do to keep that ball rolling. And so eventually I was able to... I think within about six months, increased the inventory in my newsletter. So I had a header ad, I had a middle of the article ad, and I had some footer ads. And of course, as you go through the newsletter, the ads get cheaper because you know the majority of people will see the first one and less and less, right? And even though the footer ad was the cheapest, it always was the poorest and lowest selling ad. It was always the premium, most expensive ad that sold out first and sold the easiest. This is totally going off topic of what you asked me, but I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. No, I love it. Keep going. Yeah, it's great. And so again, when I was selling those ads, I think I was selling them for about $8,200 to $100 for a premium ad. And that was with about, at that point, you know, six months later at about 1,200 subscribers. So like, I, it's not like I had a huge list and I was making thousands of dollars, but again, it was worth it for me to, yeah. I kind of like the game of trying to monetize the newsletter with ads and that sort of thing. I had a few affiliate sales as well in there mixed in, but I wasn't selling any products or services at that point either. So it was strictly ad-based and the ads performed okay. Some performed better than others, but I learned a lot doing it. So that's kind of why I say don't wait to start. You kind of have to figure out the earlier you can figure out what will work for your readers, like what people will click on, you can fine tune your your ad copy and really refine your call to actions. And so I would say even start taking ads, small newsletter size, if that's the way you want to monetize, of course, mm. start trying to find ads and get them for, for cheap. Get Just get people to pay you a little bit of money to get your their ads in your newsletter so that you can more refine and hone and improve the quality of the ad and the performance of the ad. 
Nice. Yeah, that's great. So something we talk a lot about at ConvertKit is like creating a flywheel. And so that kind of reminds me of, you know, if you let's just say you had a newsletter and something caused it to go viral and you weren't set up yet to take ads and to like make all that work for yourself, then you have to figure all Mm -hmm. that out. And there's a lot more at stake at that point. Like you're trying to make sure that that's going to work for you at a time where, you know, you haven't really put it into practice. So I really like that. I mean, there's so many good sound bites already from this. Like Alyssa keeps smiling and I keep smiling and I'm like, oh, that was so good. (laughs) So I love that. That's awesome. Nice. I would love to hear you school us on the partner network by Sparkloop because it's so cool that you can mm. you can do two things. You can grow your list by paying mm-hmm. people to um, send subscribers your way through recommendations, mm-hmm. or you can monetize by sending other people recommendations and you get paid for those, which mm-hmm. I've heard some crazy stories. We have actually someone on the ConvertKit team, an employee, who use the partner network mm-hmm. and it's crazy how much money he's making every month <laughs> through the partner <laughs> network. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to do that. So can you tell us more about like, how does that work? And just any pro tips you have for creators who want to test it out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love you. I think it's a good opportunity to explain to like the two sides, right? There's the growth and the monetization side. And because they both have the word partner in them, the partner program and the partner network mm-hmm. can sometimes be conflated or confused. And so if you are growing your newsletter and you're willing to put some budget behind your growth, then you create a partner program in Sparkloop. And your partner program will, you know, you set out how much you will be willing to pay for a subscriber, right? You set how much you're going to spend per month total, your total budget. And you'd set out your per partner budget, right? Of how much you're willing to pay an individual partner who joins your program um, each month. So the reasons why I think partner programs are still being slept on, um, because we do have quite a few partners, or I guess we'll call them sponsors for the sake, sponsors setting up partner programs to pay others to promote. But there's still tons of opportunity. and. The reason why I love it is because it's cost controlled and it's quality controlled. When you create a Facebook ad or you create an Instagram ad, whatever it might be, as soon as somebody clicks, you're paying. Regardless of if they unsubscribe or never open an email, you pay. You can't, you don't have that quality control filter. I mean, you can refine your audience and do all that sort of stuff, your demographics. But once somebody clicks through and you know Facebook is like, that's a conversion, you're paying for that, right? the classic CPC model. But with with a partner program, again, you set your CPA. So you know, I'm not going to be paying any more than $2.50 for a new subscriber. I set a pending referral duration period. So if that subscriber joins and then within say two weeks, they unsubscribe, I don't pay for that subscriber. They were sent to me, they unsubscribed. And so that was you know, you don't lose that $2.50. And then you can also set parameters um, within your ESP of if the partner does not open an email, let's say they don't unsubscribe, but they don't open an email in the first two weeks, they don't click on a specific link that you set a rule for, for example, in ConvertKit, then they will be unsubscribed with your automation that you set. And again, you won't pay for the subscribers. And different ESPs will work a little bit differently. Some have rejection segments and that sort of thing. But the point is that you are in full control of basically what you're paying and kind of what validates a true subscriber. So that's why I think it's in some ways even more powerful than Facebook ads. Facebook has a much wider audience. Like I'm not going to say 
that our partner network is a bigger audience at all. Um, Facebook's got a global massive audience, but I just think there's so much opportunity with a partner program that people are maybe sleeping on a little bit. I, I agree. Like I said, we, we have a lot of people in there, but there's still so many more that, that could take advantage of it. Best partner program. I'll let you have some follow-up questions if you do, but I can talk about the partner network too. I was just going to uh, say a quick note if people are like interested, like, oh, but I just got in the creator network. I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe by the time this episode is out, I'm not sure. Coming soon will be an integration with the creator network and the partner network. So you can capitalize on all these amazing things Dylan is talking about while also using the ConvertKit Creator Network. So I'm very excited about um, all the growth and monetization opportunities that are going to come from that. But mm -hmm. yes, I'd love to hear now mm -hmm. more about the partner network. Yes. So um, then we talked about the partner program and how you can pay people to recommend your newsletter. Well, those people who are recommending your newsletter are in the partner network. And so we have people apply to join our partner network because we don't want you know, Joe Blow off the street, just coming in and sending your uh, newsletter links to anybody, shady audiences, wherever, right? So we make sure that people have actually have a newsletter before they join the partner network, that they can kind of verify that they're the owners of that newsletter domain. And we make sure that they are actually actively sending out a newsletter. So we ask for their first edition of the newsletter as well. So we make sure that these partners are real legit partners in our network. And then once they are approved, then they can basically join, they're, they're pre-approved to join um, your partner network. So if they join and they get past our vetting, we deem them like good enough for the rest of our audience. Now, if for some reason there was an issue with the partner, you can always, as a somebody who is running a partner program, you could perhaps uh, bring it to our attention or report them or archive them or pause them from sharing your newsletter. But that's another point to discuss later. But what I, the point is with the partner network, you apply to join. And then once you're in, you can join a whole number of partner programs and get paid to recommend all of these newsletters to your audience. And that can be done with the Upscribe recommendation widget. So when somebody comes to your newsletter sign-up page, they subscribe. A little widget pops up saying, hey, if you like our newsletter, you might also enjoy XYZ newsletter. And then you have the the user will have the option to subscribe to those or subscribe to just one or two of them or none of them. And so if they subscribe, then you will have as a partner, you have the pending, basically it's a pending referral. And then once they get past, I mentioned earlier that 14 day, as an example, you can set it anywhere from one to 30 days. Once they get past that pending refer referral duration period, then they become a paid subscriber and you get paid for that subscriber like magic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is. It's like magic. And so a lot of really smart operators, what they're doing is they're actually, they're running Facebook ads. They're driving people to their newsletter sign-up page. And then they also have an upscribe widget mm. that they're getting paid, mm -hmm. counterbalancing the cost of getting that subscriber Genius. by getting paid to promote other newsletters. So there is a potential for you to almost have a wash mm -hmm. with your new subscriber acquisition. If you can work it properly, get your CPAs down enough in Facebook to the point where you're earning per subscriber on the, you know, the intake side is there. So it's a really interesting um, setup you could have. It's so crazy. I'm excited for more people to understand like mm -hmm. this. It feels like a hack. It feels a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's awesome. And one thing that I know I 
especially, you know, having a deliverability podcast, being deliverability people, we're getting a lot of questions about like, well, Mm. what about the quality of these subscribers? And Mm -hmm. from all the numbers we're seeing, at least in the creator network, and I think some have been shared from people who use Upscribe, there hasn't been a huge difference in engagement from the people who come in your list naturally versus through one of these networks. I think there is a slight decrease in average open rate based on where the people came from. You might see some more unsubscribes if someone came in from the network versus through your signup forms. But there hasn't been, Mm -hmm. from what I've seen, like any huge difference in quality from this, you know, the point of acquisition. Are you seeing the same thing? And do you have any tips for people to keep their list clean while using Mm. a partner network or a creator network, any kind of network? Yeah, definitely. I was going to say what what I've done is set up a specific automation and sequence in ConvertKit for people who are joining my newsletter from the creator network. So smart. So if somebody comes in, they're tagged. I believe they're tagged or they have a custom field, one of the two. Either way, it triggers an automation basically saying they enter a welcome sequence and the welcome sequence says the first email it's a one email sequence, to be honest. The, fr- the first email is, hey, thanks for joining. I'm so excited you're here. By the way, if you're not sure how you got here, here's how. Then I kind of just give them the quick rundown. One of, you know, my a friend of mine um, recommended my newsletter in their sign-up page and you said yes to join. So if that was a mistake, please click this um, huge, I've made a huge mistake button <laughs> in my welcome secrets. It's the joke from Arrested Development. I've made a huge mistake. Um, I love yeah. it. Yeah. So they click that and they'll unsubscribe. That is great. If they have images turned off, I have the button right below it so that they can click it even if they don't have their images on. So that what I'm doing there is is kind of obvious. It's like, I have no idea why I subscribe to this newsletter. I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And if they're too lazy to unsubscribe, then it's just hurting my open rate. Also, like with ConvertKit and any ESP, you eventually will be paying for yeah. subscribers that uh, you might not, who might not be opening your email. So I try to wean out those subscribers right up front and, you know, do the same thing with Sparkloop um, when people come in via Upscribe or a magic link or Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, so that when they come in, I can quickly within that pending referral duration, especially if I'm paying for them with a partner program that they get right. They're in or they're out, right? Right up front. Like I'm going to pay for you, but you're going to open my emails, or at least I'm going to make sure that you have had the chance to, you know, engage with my emails before I pay for you. So good. Like, it's not intuitive, I think, for a lot of creators to have that mentality because, especially when you're not using, like, when you're not paying and you're just having subscribers coming in, I think it's very natural to want to, like, hold on to them as much as possible. So, this is such a great, I love all of this. It's so good. Yeah. I want to just copy your sequence and put it into my conversion. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I made a mistake. My one email sequence. Yeah. <laughs> It's not hard. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. Just send them one email mm-hmm. and just get them into an automation, sending them one email saying, I'm so glad you're here. But just in case you didn't mean to be here, here's how you got here. And uh, please feel free to unsubscribe. I also share what they can expect, right? Like so that they're not just like some random email that I'm not going to be interested in. I, I do share a little bit about what my email news- or what my newsletter is about. So if that is interesting to them, they will, they will stick around. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely important to not have all of these, you know, with the proliferation of these recommendation widgets with the ConvertKit, Beehive, Substack, Sparkloop, you know, they're, and I'm sure more are coming, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be more and more people just like all of a sudden ending up on your, on your newsletter list and receiving your newsletter who are 
going to be probably subscribed to that many more newsletters than, you know, people have really ever been just because of the the ease of opting in with all of these widgets. So I think it behooves you as a newsletter creator to, you know, kind of almost get that double opt-in, right? Yeah. Essentially, that's what you're doing, right? Yeah. I love that. That's so smart. I have a welcome email like that set up, but I don't have the big like I made a mistake mm-hmm. button. <laughs> and I want to add that because I have noticed like that email has my highest number of unsubscribes versus all my other emails. Mm. So I'm sure people are getting that welcome email. I'm like, hi, my name's Alyssa. I talk about deliverability. Here's a picture of my baby. And they're like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I mean, who is this woman? Hopefully not that many people, but I'm sure some people, yeah, that didn't know how that widget worked were like, uh, so funny. who are you? Unsubscribe. So I would love to add that button yeah. at the top and just be like, here's the door if you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> this is not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, we don't have much more time and I don't want to keep you too long. This has been so helpful. Before I forget and before our listeners leave us, where can people find you? How do people sign up for the Growth Currency newsletter? Yes. So Growth Currency um, is kind of the main handle. So at Growth Currency on Twitter, same thing on the other platforms that I have accounts on, but aren't as active on. And yeah, you can send me an email, dylan at growthcurrency.net. My website is growthcurrency.net if you didn't um, gather that by my email address. And uh, (laughs) if you want to check out the 1KS roadmap too, it's the free, um, I guess I told you already it's a lead magnet, but it's a free five-day email course on how to grow your newsletter to a thousand subscribers. So if you want to, I can share that link with you guys so you can throw it in the show notes if you want. Yes, I please do because I'm going to go subscribe to it right now. I think I'm at like 550 (laughs) right now, but I need your help getting Mm. to 1K. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) nice. Cool. Awesome. It was so great talking to you. I feel like we should just have you on all the time because you're such an expert, but thank you for joining us and sticking with us through all the craziness this month. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. My pleasure. Glad we could finally connect. Me too. Well, sweet. Hope everybody has a great week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.